This past uh, Wednesday evening, about 11, 11.30, after 40-plus hours of travel, uh, a group of us from College Wesleyan uh, made our way back to Marion uh, from Sierra Leone. And uh, so just to kind of give you guys a brief kind of exposure to what we got to experience, uh, Pastor Chip put together a few pictures, um, and I'll kind of walk you through them. So Sierra Leone, uh, this tree is called the cotton tree. And uh, as I was doing research on Sierra Leone, um, I discovered that the first Christian worship service was held under this tree hundreds of years ago uh, by former slaves from here in America. Um, They went back to Sierra Leone and um, took Christ with them. This here is a uh, market, just a traditional market there in Sierra Leone. We got to kind of experience that. It was was pretty cool. This ship powers the entire city of Freetown. A million and a half people get their power from this ship. Um, Here, we got to go out with World Hope. Um, They have a program called um, Enable the Children. They work with children with special needs, giving them the resources, giving the family the resources, and and through that, try to uh, change the culture of how individuals with special needs are perceived in Sierra Leone. Here, um, an aerial shot of the conference center. Um, The conference center is one area that we're going to partner with the Wesleyan Church of Sierra Leone. Um, Here's another shot of a building that needs some repair to really be used properly inside that building there. This is an aerial view of the village of McKinn. McKinn is the village we're uh, partnering with directly. And um, it's pretty exciting to go and and be with them. They gathered up all the children. They greeted us as we came in. And uh, it was just a great time uh, to celebrate with them and to get to know them. Uh, Here's the pastor of the church there in McKinn. And um, got to go to church there. And then here, uh, this final picture is a picture of Bud uh, Bentz uh, passing out candy. Make sure you stop Bud and ask him how that went at some point today. (laughs) So great time. Here is a uh, picture of uh, a local school. Um, One of the things that we're doing in Sierra Leone is trying to sponsor children so that they can have education, uh, quality education. The Wesleyan Church there has many schools throughout the country, and um, we got to go out and meet some of the kids at a school in Bencolo. And so last Sunday evening, um, I found myself in a, in a different village. Uh, it was about 6 p.m. The sun was setting low. Uh, the air was just hot and heavy, and uh, bugs were just swarming us all. Um, We were greeted as we entered the village by the local Wesleyan pastor and his uh, five-year-old son. And there in the village, you could could really sense community. Um, There was just a a level of interdependency amongst those who lived in the village. Um, This is a picture of the Wesleyan church there that's being built. And um, Neighbors were outside, kids were playing, um, laughter was heard, and joy was apparent, despite my inability to speak the language. Uh, The village uh, is called Kuncho, and uh, during our week there in Sierra Leone, we got to visit many different villages, many different sites. We got to see um, how World Hope is transforming um, Sierra Leone. We got to meet with the national leaders of the Wesleyan Church there, just to engage and get to know them. got to go on things like tours, like enable the children. But visiting 
the village there at Kuncho had the deepest impact on me. Um, there in Kuncho, there's a small, quaint cemetery. At most, it's about 20 feet by 20 feet. There's a modest fence that surrounds it. And there on that fence when we visited, I don't think you can see it in the picture, there was a goat who essentially just takes care of the grounds, makes sure uh, grass is cut. Um, inside the fence, there was about 10 or so gravestones, uh, flowers were growing through. They were vibrant, colorful. And um, one of the things I noticed is that sometimes the gravestones would face one way, another time they would face another way, indicating that more than likely people, their bodies are, are intersecting just because of the size. Um, the people that are buried in this cemetery um, happen to be the earliest Wesleyan missionaries um, that were sent over to Sierra Leone. Uh, many of the people who were buried there passed before they each the, reached the age of 40. Um, some died as early as the late 1800s. And uh, the cemetery is completely surrounded by just lush vegetation. And it's just a, a great place, a beautiful place to lay to rest those that gave their all for the gospel and for the people of Sierra Leone. And I read the names, uh, James Wesley Taylor, Anna Perrin Clark, Reverend John F. Danner, and others whose names I could barely make out because of how old um, these tombstones were. But eventually I, I came to a tombstone that, that caused me to pause. In this particular tombstone, um, it read, Irvin F. Johnson died January 8th, 1894, aged five years, four months, and four days. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it hit me because this kid, Irvin Johnston, almost to the day is the age of my son, Arlo. And it caused me to get choked up. Irvin uh, was the only child that was buried in that cemetery. But all the same, you know, this was a kid whose life ended early and abruptly. Even so, on his tombstone are inscribed the words, blessed be the name of the Lord. I can't imagine if I was in his parents' shoes that that would be the inscription that I would put on my child's tombstone. But then again, I have never made the sacrifices that his parents made on behalf of the gospel. And while uh, little is written about Irvin, um, there's a great deal that are written about his parents, uh, mainly his father. Um, and as we began to launch this partnership and explore this partnership, uh, Dr. Bud Benson and I really took some time to, to research the culture and customs of Sierra Leone and explore the history of the Wesleyan church in Sierra Leone. And um, in 1887, just to kind of give you a little bit, a Sierra Leonean um, journeyed to the United States. He came to the United States to reach out to churches here um, to begin sending pastors to go and preach the gospel in his country. And his name was uh, Professor J. Augustus Cole, and he was a highly educated man. Uh, one of the articles I read about him um, shared that this man spoke 11 languages. 
He spoke many of the native languages of Sierra Leone, spoke English really well, um, could read Greek, Hebrew, Arabic. And um, in the fall of 1887, Professor Cole made his way to the general conference of the Wesleyan Church. Um, that general conference was uh, being held in Leato, um, Indiana, roughly 70 miles from Marion. And at the conference, Cole pleaded with the leaders that had gathered there, send pastors to preach the word. Um, eventually, uh, someone responded to that. There was a team that was sent out that same year to explore the possibility. But it wasn't until 1889 that the first missionary family would leave the United States and go and be sent out to proclaim the gospel in Sierra Leone. Reverend Henry Johnston, his wife Emma, and their 14-month-old son, Irvin, went out. Um, this picture was taken a little bit after that. And uh, they boarded a ship in New York City, um, a steamship, and then traveled for 30 days on a ship to get to Sierra Leone. And that really put into perspective me complaining about 40 plus hours of travel on Wednesday evening. The Johnstons, uh, their first year, it was just full of struggles, um, lots and lots of challenges. Um, Henry uh, pastored a church in Freetown, this church here, um, St. John's Maroon Church. He pastored there the first year, but really had this inner struggle knowing that God was calling him to go to the unreached places of Sierra Leone. But yet he was preaching to people who already knew Christ. During that same year, his wife, Emma, um, got really, really sick. And uh, doctors said, the only way that you're going to live is for you to go back to the United States. So Henry, along with his wife and his child, went back to the United States um, so that she could recover. And, 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 and so once he got them settled in, Henry quickly returned to Sierra Leone, made that 30-day journey once again. Um, but when he got back to, the, to Sierra Leone, he, he, he was like, I'm not going back to the church because he knew that he had this calling, this need to go and take the gospel to the people who had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And, and while he had determination, his path was just littered with obstacle after obstacle. New languages, sickness, traveling were just minor challenges compared to locating a suitable and an accepted place for this mission house that he wanted to build and do ministry out of. There were tense negotiations with local chiefs. Um, roads were non-existent. Maps of the trails, two different places, were hard to come by. And while um, travel was precarious, it was really difficult during rainy season. It was almost impossible. Some of the trip they, they would take by river, and that has pros and cons. The rivers were all mapped out. But what they found is these rivers are unpredictable. And uh, more than, on more than one occasion, their, their ship capsized and uh, they lost supplies. But nearly a year after he returned to Sierra Leone, Henry and another missionary began to build the first mission house in Sierra Leone in that village of Kuncho. And Kuncho is a village that is difficult to get by just by car. 
It was extremely hard 130 years ago to get there. Well, after uh, Henry settled in, Emma, with, with the, their children, returned to the U.S., uh, returned to Sierra Leone from the U.S. And even with his family close by, time and time again, Henry would face adversity. After a while, discouragement began to settle in. And in one of his letters to supporters back in the U.S., Henry wrote these words. We have become somewhat used to disappointments in this line. For there has scarcely been a month during the last year that we have not had reason to suppose that someone was on the way to help us. Meanwhile, constantly in hope of help, we have allowed our work to expand and our duties to increase until we begin to feel that if someone does not come soon, we will have to retrench lest we break down under the strains. Eventually, after a lot of prayer and a lot of ask back to the United States, help came. And Henry began to explore other opportunities to plant mission houses in other locations in Sierra Leone. And this required him to uh, do a lot of traveling. On one of these trips that he was taking through the country, um, he made his way down to Freetown. And on his way back, um, he and his party stopped um, at a town called Port Loco. Um, it was about the furthest way you could go up the river at that time. And um, they decided to stop for the night and rest. And as they were sitting down at dinner, a messenger who had run all the way, 16 hours, had run 16 hours straight, came to give a letter to Henry. In that letter, the words, the story, the message that was trying to be conveyed is that Henry's son, Irvin, had died. And not only that, Henry had to make the realization, have the realization that not only has his son just died, but he's two and a half days away from home. And there's no way that he would make it back in time before his wife and others would have to place his son in the ground. Just a, after, just a week after his son's death, in another letter to the U.S., Henry wrote, how it shocked me. I could hardly believe it. I had felt the assurance that the Lord would keep my little ones. Now my firstborn, the apple of my eye, my joy and pride was gone. And I was two and a half days from home. Henry concluded this letter by saying, we sorrow not as they that have no hope, yet much is gone from our home, but not too much for Jesus. A grave has been made and a life given for the salvation of Sierra Leone. We have done the best we knew. We leave the rest to God. Pray for us. H.W. Johnston, Kunshow, January 15th, 1894. Over and over again, adversity, challenges, and loss hit this family. But each time it hit, even in the middle of it, there was a certain thankfulness to God 
for his provision in their lives. Henry's recorded prayers, his letters, and other accounts all indicate that his trust in the Lord transcended any suffering that he encountered. His dependency on God was deeper than any of the pain that he felt. Henry, Emma, and the remaining kids stayed in Sierra Leone for almost another year. Eventually, um, because of health concerns, because they were still grieving their son, and for a desire to get the word out in the United States about the needs of Sierra Leone, the family made their way back to the U.S. But before um, the family made their, back, their way back to the U.S., um, Henry accepted a call to be an interim pastor at a Wesleyan church in Wheaton, Illinois. And so the family of four settled into Wheaton, and by all accounts, even after just a, four, a short few months, the church fell in love with their new pastor and his family. And there was a general conference that was on the schedule for that year to be held. And so Henry was given the invitation. Henry, come and speak at the general conference and share about what God is doing in that country. So, so Henry agreed. Um, he came down to, of all places, Fairmount, Indiana, um, to get the word out about what was going on there. He saw it as a platform to, to promote the needs and the resources of the other missionaries that were still there. And from the minutes of the general conference uh, held in October of 1895, like Professor Cole before him, Henry made a petition to the people and said, people need to go. Go and share the gospel in this place. But then I was going through the minutes of that general conference. On the fifth day of that general conference, Henry died unexpectedly of something called blackwater fever. It's a typhoid-related disease, but it, became, it, it came off as a surprise to everyone, including his wife, Emma. Emma, shortly after his death, was going through Henry's papers, and she found a prayer that Henry had inscribed or written down just before they left for Sierra Leone that first time. And it reads this, the Lord being my helper, I do this day consecrate to the Lord and lay upon his altar, not to be mine any longer, only as the Lord wills it. My wife, my home, my child, my position, my papers, my church, my friends, my reputation, my relatives, my plans of life, my convictions of right, my political opinions, my reform ideas, my health, my mind, my body, my pride, my ambitions, my all. The Lord take me and cleanse me and make me holy thine through the blood of Jesus Christ. Henry wrote that prayer as a consecration, as a vow to God, and in about every way possible. Those things he offered to God in that vow, God took from him. Again, last Sunday, um, as I stood over the gravestone of Irvin, 
a boy who died at the age of five, I started thinking about the vows that, that I have made to God. And I began evaluating how well I thought I was keeping those vows. And I began to, to wrestle internally about vows that I haven't made to God out of fear, out of the unknown. And I realized there that, that we are not just called to show our love for God, our faith in him, simply by being obedient to him. That's part of it. But another way that we respond to God and our love for him is by honoring the vows that we've made to him. I'll be honest, uh, when I first got this passage, this passage was given to me uh, by Pastor Steve and others. And I wasn't really excited about preaching from Psalm 116. Um, it's not a complex psalm. You know, there's not anything like hidden in it that I can pull from to impress you guys with. It's just a simple and straightforward psalm. And, and to sum it up, it goes like this. God heard the psalmist's prayers. He or she was thankful. They found themselves in crisis. They prayed. God delivered. They were thankful. Another reiteration of crisis, another prayer. God delivers again. Gratitude was given to God. They raised the question, how can we re repay God? They made a promise to fulfill vows. They then recognized who God was. And finally, a plan was made to fulfill those vows. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But the more I thought about this passage, I realized that the simplicity of this passage has the potential to mirror our own lives. There's a certain rhythm in life that we all cycle through. We all face struggles, pain, sorrow, loss, sickness, challenges. It's life. And even as Christ followers, we're not promised a life free of struggles. This stuff is out of our control. Trouble is going to come sooner or later. But what we do have the ability to control is how we respond to trouble when it comes upon us. We can let it defeat us. We can allow it to break us down and give up. Or when we find ourselves in those moments, like the psalmist, like Henry, we can call out to God. We can depend on him and we can recognize who he is. He's God, Lord, master, provider, shepherd, the most high God, the maker of the heavens and the earth. We can respond like Henry after the loss of his son when he said, much is gone from our home, but not too much for Jesus. Likewise, uh, we also have the choice once God does respond to our need of how we respond. We can go about our lives just kind of, thanks God, I'm doing my own thing now. Or we can thank him by either honoring what we've already vowed to him or making new vows and then fulfilling those. And vows uh, are pretty interesting. Um, I was thinking, as I was thinking through this passage, I began to uh, mentally kind of list out different vows that we take both inside and outside the church. Um, whenever we take out a loan, our signature serves as a vow, essentially, that we are gonna repay that loan plus interest. Um, if we have to testify in court, we have to vow to tell the truth and the whole truth. Um, when we sign our IRS 
tax returns. Our signature serves as a vow saying, everything in here is correct. I recently um, had to uh, sign a document and, and basically make a vow to the Department of Justice. Uh, we were doing some stuff with Immigrant Connections, so I signed this paper, we sent the forms in, and a few months later, realized that I had committed perjury. I accidentally broke that vow. But that's a whole other story. Um, save that one for later. Um, in the church, uh, we take all kinds of vows, but we oftentimes give them little thought. In church membership, we vow to be committed to the church. In baptisms, we vow to continually seek after God and allow him to transform us. In child dedications and child baptisms, as parents, we vow to shepherd our kids well and nurture their spiritual growth. As a pastor, uh, through ordination, I took vows both to the Wesleyan Church and to God, saying that I would allow God to use me in whatever way he saw fit. Board members um, here at College Wesleyan take vows to serve the church. And, and about, two year, about two years ago, 300 or, or so people gathered on this stage and made a vow to shepherd the people around them following the Sheep to Shepherd series. And then there's marriage. In any Christian marriage, we make vows to both God and our spouses, promising to honor and cherish them, to serve and protect them from that day forward. Can I be, I'm just gonna be transparent with you guys, um, be real with you. And, and I think that it's something that, that we as a church, man, we need to be, do more, um, to be open with one another. Um, in ministry, I've often, oftentimes kind of got the idea that, that congregants, church members, generally think that pastors have everything figured out, that they're above everything else. And, and maybe that's the case with pastors that don't have tattoos. But me, I still, uh, I still struggle. Um, about nine years ago, um, my marriage, it, it, it was ready to implode. Uh, Gidget and I had hurt the other in, in deep ways. Um, there was a lack of trust, an unwillingness to forgive, a lot of anger. And she and I both wanted nothing to do with the other. Oftentimes, I would work late um, so I didn't have to see her. Um, she, whenever I would come into a room, she would quickly leave because she didn't want to see me. And it even went as far as her leaving with Cambria, our daughter, with a one-way ticket to visit her sisters without a plan to return. And we were at a crossroads at that moment. We were both ready to be done with our marriage. We reconciled. And a couple years later, Gidget and I found ourselves in a doctor's office. And we were there with excitement, eager to hear our child's heartbeat, only to learn that day that we would never get the experience of raising um, that child. And this wasn't the first time. This is the second time. And the second one was in late-term pregnancy. And I was so mad at God. Because I was like, how did you allow this to happen? And I was mad at the church because of the advice that people were offering us, the words that they were saying to us. We had one church member approach us and saying, you know, what, what 
unrepentant sin do you have in your life that's causing you to keep losing these children? And, and then there was a lot of like, you know, God's got a plan for this. Good things are gonna come from this. That moment, I was ready to walk away from the vow that I made to God in ordination. And I was ready to walk away from the church. Obviously, um, Gidget and I got through that stretch of our marriage and, and I remain committed to God and the calling that he placed on my life. But I had to decide, am I gonna honor the vows that I've made to him? It took some work, but God used those days, those weeks, those years that followed that period of my life to transform me, to teach me about myself, and to teach me about him. He showed me where he was during those times. He revealed to me how he oftentimes carried me through those struggles, even when I didn't want to go through them. He exposed areas of my life, behaviors and attitudes that needed to be changed. And more than anything else, God showed me how to forgive, to forgive myself, to forgive others, and even to forgive him, though he didn't do anything wrong. More so, um, I've since seen God's provision that he provided, has provided to me because I stayed true to the vows that I had made. Um, eventually, God bless us, Gidget and I, with another child, uh, our son Arlo. And, and God is still allowing me to serve him in the church, but with things in an area that I'm passionate about. Since coming home from uh, Sierra Leone, I've wondered what would have happened if Henry Johnston hadn't honored the vows that he made to God before leaving to go there the first time. I imagine that the country would be di a different looking country. While Henry wasn't the only missionary to be sent out of the Wesleyan church, he was the first missionary to give his all to God on behalf of the people of Sierra Leone and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Henry honored the vows that he made to God, there are now over 275 Wesleyan churches in the country. The Wesleyan church there is the largest denomination. There are schools that are planted in cities and in rural areas that are providing education to under-resourced children. There is a Wesleyan hospital in Northern Sierra Leone that provides healthcare to thousands upon thousands of people. It is the only source of healthcare for all of the area. In addition to this, because of Henry's commitment to that vow, World Hope is there, not just in one part, but there are over there in all of Sierra Leone. And they're doing amazing things for some of the most vulnerable people of Sierra Leone. And they're doing it in the name of Christ. Back to the Psalm. How can I repay the Lord for his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. God is good and gracious. He remains present with us throughout hardship. 
He listens to us when we call out to him and he responds. How do we repay him? We honor the vows, commitments, and promises we made to him. This morning, um, as a response to Psalm 116, I, wanna, I want you all to, I want to challenge you to think through what are vows that you have made to God? And how are you doing with those vows? Have you fulfilled them yet? Or is it something that you're still in the middle of? Maybe uh, when you think through that, maybe you aren't living fully to the promises and vows that you made your spouse on your wedding day. Maybe you could do a little bit better in fulfilling the promise that you made to God when you dedicated or baptized your child. Or maybe you're just frustrated with the church and you're ready to walk away. And I can, I can hear it. it. goes a little something like this. Man, we haven't had Steve preach in five weeks straight. I'm out of here. Uh, just kidding. Whatever that vow is, whatever that vow is, how are you responding to it? Maybe you haven't made any vows to God, but you know you need to. Maybe up to this point, haven't been willing to do that. Maybe out of fear, knowing that making a vow will cost you something. Or maybe right now it just seems overwhelming, scary, or impossible. I want to encourage you, step into that this morning. Make that commitment to God and allow him to transform you and those you're around. There might be somebody here who, like the Johnstons back in the 1800s, know God is calling them to go and serve the global church. Maybe you need to make that vow to God this morning to go.